what are you? The dairy police? She's talking about a penis! Fermentation. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Lorena Rose. And we're here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one episode at a time and spoiler free. Today we're discussing season two, episode four, Summer of 47, a fan favorite. According to IMDb, this is the one where Michael is assigned to talk to a World War II vet for history class, and here's the story of the crash of the alien craft in 1947, and Michael imagines the story with himself and his friends in the roles. This episode was written by Gretchen J. Berg and Aaron Herberts, who were both also producers on the show. They are writing partners who've worked on a bunch of stuff together. They co-executive produced and wrote for Pushing Daisies, which is like a cult favorite show. Um, they also worked on Wonderfalls, which featured William Sadler and is very underrated. And they worked on Revenge, which Nick Wexler had a lead role in. And most recently, they executive produced and wrote for the first season of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which I'm very excited is coming back for season two. So great job, Gretchen and Aaron. Uh, This episode was directed by Patrick R. Norris, who we've talked about before. This is the fourth of 13 episodes he directed, and it originally aired on the 23rd of October, 2000. And we are very lucky today to have with us a guest who y'all may remember from a first season episode, but she's here to talk about one of her favorites. Nomi, welcome back. Hi, everyone. It's so good to be back again. So what's going on in your world, Nomi, since the last time we had you on the show? Well, a lot of really exciting things have come up. Um, A lot of you may have heard that Brendan and Mahandra's project, Baron and Toluca, um, there's definitely more updates in the works. They have a second trailer that's going to come up pretty soon, but something exciting is that they've been selling merchandise, which has funded not only the second trailer, but maybe another episode to come. So we're really excited to see that. Um, We really want a lot of Roswell fans that love paranormal and sci-fi genres to really join. And the way to do that is to go to the Indiegogo website, which I know that y'all are going to put on your website um, after today, but it's going to have a lot of details. (laughs) It's going to have a lot of details about how to join. And apparently with this crowdfunding, there's going to be a lot of perks that come its way. So we're really excited to see sort of Baron and Toluca coming closer and closer on our screens. I love a good perk. I'm really hoping one of them involves me getting to meet Brendan in person, personally. I hope I'm rich enough to afford that perk, whatever that costs. (laughs) I know. I think if anyone could get to see both of them in whatever way, I think there would be a lot of of people wanting that for sure. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So we open this episode at the cave, and I was like, yeah. This is what happens when Isabel finds cool things instead of Max or Michael finding cool things. She just shares them with all of the people she needs to share them with so everyone can have the relevant information. I know. Look at that nice collaboration. Isabel's like, look at this thing. I think we all should check out this thing. Shocker. Let's all be involved in our future. And I, I everyone's just like, oh, what is it? What do you think? And Tess is like, do you think it can hear us? And I was like, what? Oh, wait, can it? Ooh, hang on. (laughs) I don't know. It's very exciting, though. After this, we go to school where poor Marie 
Anya is trying so hard to connect with Michael, and he's just such a jerk. Not cool. Uh, a song note, we, in the original version, there was a song by the band Mast, which was like pure pop punk of the, I guess, early 2000s. Um, and in this version, we get a Reliant K song, which is like Christian pop punk of the early 2000s. <laughs> so a little throwback for anyone who was a teen during those times. Like as soon as that song came on, I was like, ah, oh, this is just like being at Warp Tour. Yes, I saw Reliant K in concert so many times when I was in high school and early college. Also good stuff. Liz's hair looks great. She's still getting her daily blowouts that every teen (laughs) gets before school. She's wearing like a ton of blush, though, which I was a little unclear on what was happening there. Makeup team, what are you doing? She's a little blush heavy in this episode. And I wonder if it's because when they were playing their dual roles that it just made it easier like michael's hair looks very different <laughs> in this whole episode it is not yes. at all yeah even when he's modern michael it's like yeah not not his usual for this season so far probably yeah just all that like uh pomade slicking it back for all the summer of 47 scenes or all the 1947 scenes maybe it's like leaving it a little extra greasy and hard to handle in the modern times. It didn't help the car rolls to be like, we used to wear it like high and tight. Like he even made like a comment about hair. (laughs) Yeah. So Liz is here to remind us like, hey, so uh, remember how we totally justifiably, but still like killed that congresswoman? So like that's having repercussions. People are calling her office and I don't know what to say. But, oh, no, we're not going to address it during this episode because we're doing something else. And Michael is like, no, let's get over this little plot point. We'll come back to it. Don't worry about it right now. Yeah. (laughs) And Max has this beautiful line, you know, mean people suck. Yeah. (laughs) Which, I mean, good lesson for Max to take to heart, too. Yeah. But, yeah, Michael's being a total jerk. He is, yeah, to Maria, to Liz, to everybody. We find out that less than a month into the semester, Michael is failing a class. How is this even possible? How many assignments have they had? Or is he failing because if you miss a certain number of classes, you just automatically fail and he just doesn't go? Anyway, this teacher is like, hey, so we need a a plot device, so I'm just going to set it up for us here. But I really appreciate that he does it in front of the whitewater rafting poster. Do y'all remember this poster? Because it used to live in Topolsky's office. Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad to see that that poster is doing well. Unlike dear sweet agent Topolsky, may she rest in peace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to our teachers setting up our plot points for the episode for us. That's the only thing the adults in this show are good for, except for Valenti. That's true. He's also good for looking at. Yes, he is. If you're Lisa. Yeah. (laughs) Michael goes to the Pineview Lodge and I really want, I wish we had seen the scene where Michael just shows up at a motel and is like, hey, are there any old men here who want to talk to me? How did this go? How did this happen? How did he get into this grown man's motel room without anyone being like, this is weird. Just when he just went knocking on doors being like, are you here for the 509th? I got to do a school project. I'm going to talk to you and just like, barges in and like sits down at the table hey you look old you want to talk about war stuff yeah but luckily he finds the perfect person captain hal carver who is played by charles napier 
Charles Napier guest starred in a Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode entitled Little Green Men, which focused on the 1947 Roswell crash. He played General Rex Denning, who was responsible for covering up the crash by having one of his officers float a story about a downed weather balloon. Interesting. That is interesting, because that just came out full circle. You always find out all this stuff, Lisa, all the time. (laughs) I I do a lot of Googling. (laughs) I do a lot of research. (laughs) Like, I didn't even know that. Wow. I love all of his, like... Just all of his like old timey phrases that get thrown in throughout this whole episode. He has good zingers for sure in this episode. Uh, and Michael has some good zingers too. Also, Michael's artistic ability comes out because he's like sketching yeah. away this pilot cartoon, and they only talk about his artsy stuff only once in season one when he made the dome, the geodesic right. dome. Yes. It's like, was he just not artistic after? So it's nice to see that again. I love the geodesic dome montage. It's like one of my favorite parts of season one. I know it's silly, but I like that episode. Michael says here that he was born to fly, which I thought was cute. Mm -hmm. I assume he means in a spaceship. Yep. Back to his home planet. Not in the B-17G that he can recognize the model of or read it because it's definitely printed on the flyer that he's looking at which also indicates that the plane that Hal flew was called the Loose Betty. Ooh, well Betty was the reporter the reporter. I know. I was wondering if that was uh related. I don't know. And if it was, how dare they? Loose Betty. Betty can do whatever Betty wants. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate Hal here basically demanding respect for Michael, which yeah. I wish Maria had done. Um, but so it's about time that someone is like, listen up, young gun, you gotta just like relax a little bit. You're not top dog here. Mm-hmm. And Michael's like, oh, you're going to teach me about aliens? And Hal's like, yeah. Yeah, I am. And then Michael's like, oh, shit. And then he says that back in his day, women had curves, something you could hold on to. And then I was like, oh, I've lost all interest in this man. <laughs> So while I didn't like that exact term, I did like the style of this intro where he's like going into like an old like film noir, like detective mystery, like ugh, it just felt very, you know, like taking us back. I feel like I've uh, seen the start of old films like that. They had some good transitions in here from the modern times to the flashbacks, bridging Mm -hmm. them with like visual cues or these voiceovers, which is cool. Our first mystery here is how do you take a young woman out on a completely unauthorized quote unquote mission to see the Hoover Dam, which is not that close, and not get discharged from the army. Yeah, that he wasn't fired on the spot for that. Right? And neither was she, because we later find out that it's Tessa's character. Yeah, that it's Dixie. And they're both still working together at the same base? What? Come on, army. Get it together. <laughs> All right, so we go to the credits. When we come back, we're back in modern days. And Hal starts laying the foundation here. So he starts telling us that he was actually there and describing what happened on that day. And then we transition back into our flashbacks where we see our characters as these officers and army folks back in 1947. And he mentions Jesse Marcel. And my thought was, we know him. He's a, well, we don't know him personally, but he's a real (laughs) dude that was involved in the real history of the 1947 crash, which 
We did a whole mini series on last season. So if you're curious about the real history, go check those episodes out. Yeah, absolutely. And so Hal Carver's is the character that Michael is portraying. And he goes out with Richard Doty, who is portrayed by Max. And uh, he describes Richard Doty as a good guy who had a tendency to get his skivvies all up in a bunch, which I feel like is maybe also the show describing Max a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Just a little bit. Yeah. These parallels are pretty on point. (laughs) Yes. Well, especially the next one, although I feel like this is more about Valenti season one, Colonel James Cassidy was the kind of guy who hated guys like me. And that suited me just fine because I love taking off blockheads like him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, and I loved Carver's little bit there with uh, when Cassidy Valenti comes up and he's like, why are you guys late or whatever? And Carver's just like, oh, Dodie needed a snack and like totally gets Max's character in trouble instead of owning up to like that it was totally him. So we see here that there are uh, this site is a buzz with soldiers, which again, if you listen to our our mini sodes on this, you'll know was not the case. Um, According to the army, it was uh, James Marcel who went out, Major Marcel. It was uh, Lewis Ricketts and it was Sheridan Cavett who is portrayed by Alex. So he's the only one in this who's a real person um, who's being portrayed by one of our characters, which I thought was interesting. I'm not sure why they did this, um, but Sheridan Cavett was the one who, if you'll recall, when he was asked about the 1947 incident um, for the official army reports that they were writing up, he basically was like, listen, I'm not saying anything bad about my fellow army folks. I think Jesse Marcel Jr. at this point was like, yeah, yeah, my dad like brought home this little piece of metal and I crumpled it up and it went back to shape. And then I never talked about it again because 10 year olds are really good at keeping secrets, whatever. Um, So Sheridan Cabot was like, he's definitely not lying. No one's lying. But like what happened was all these UFO researchers started coming around 40 years after this happened and were like, hey, do you remember things the way that I'm telling you to remember them? Because if you do, I'll pay you money to tell you my story. And, you know, maybe people who are older get confused and things happen. Um, But like this definitely wasn't a thing. And I remember clearly that like this there, there were not aliens, and this is total bunk. So I thought it was really interesting that that is the person who they have Alex play as just like this horrible, uh, kind of very nefarious cover-up guy. What were they trying to say? Mm. <laughs> but we meet him along with our uh, southern-accented reporter, mm-hmm. Betty Osorio. Yes. Has arrived there from Fort Worth? Yes. Okay. She made it out there fast. Yes. <laughs> well, the hot cover is not, like, very on top of it, right? Like, he was sleeping, and, like, who knew what else was going on? And she seems to be a very good reporter, better at her job than Hal is at his. Mm-hmm. So I could see how she could be there sooner. And also, by the way, like, Mahandra did... A beautiful job playing this character. I mean, the fandom really talks a lot about this character and how she, how well she did. And I think she's talked before about how fun it was it was to play this character because it was like really embodying a different character. So out of everything else she's done for this show, mm-hmm. but she just does such a great job for this. Like really, yeah. yes, I love it. It's such a fun part, and I love all the vintagey clothes. Like she pulls them off very well. <laughs> 
She also looks great in a bright red lipstick. Yes, she looks stunning in a red lipstick. And this is also where we see for the first time our Deputy Valenti. Mm-hmm. Gasp. Is this the famed Sergeant Martian that we heard about way back in, towards the very, very beginning of season one? Yes. Is this where the alien obsession for the Valenti family began? I think it must be. Woohoo. And I love then that they have Kyle playing his grandpa. Yeah. It's very cute. Mm-hmm. We go briefly back to the Pine View where Michael says, I know the rest. The feds made Marcel the scapegoat blame the crash on a weather balloon. It was all Cavett's idea, if I remember correctly. Poor Sheridan Cavett. I, this poor guy is just getting blamed for everything. I'm pretty sure this is not at all what happened. But all right. All right. Pick on the <laughs> one real guy. And then we get the impression that Hell Carver is obviously uh, probably dying of lung cancer. I feel like we get that impression. Michael's like, cigarettes are bad for you. You shouldn't do that. Well, we have this fun, like, three beat where throughout the episode we see people trying to light cigarettes and they never quite get there, which I assume is because the network was like, absolutely not. But also, like, we see in all the flashbacks, Michael as Hal is fumbling with a lighter and he can never get it to light. And then we see that that's carried with Hal throughout his entire life. He's never learned how to light a lighter properly. (laughs) Oh, poor guy. But he says the doctor says it doesn't make any difference what he does. Yeah. Which I doubt any doctor would ever say to anyone. But I, yeah, I think the point is we're supposed to believe that something is uh, amiss. Terminal illness, assumably lung cancer because smoking is bad, kids. Very bad. Um, Hal says here that he... Everything he believes the uniform stood for died in 47. What a bummer. And then he tosses Michael the piece of uncrumpleable metal that we saw him pick up in the last scene when it fell off one of these crates. And it just springs back into shape. And I actually, I think the CGI here is better than it was in that Roswell movie that we watched for a mini-sode last season with uh, the Twin Peaks guy. That was, whew, that was special. And that was a Showtime movie. You'd think it would have had, like, a good budget. But the WB budget for this crumply metal is far superior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we go back in time again. And Max and Michael's characters are having a an argument that we have seen Max and Michael have a version of many times. Oh, yes. Where they're trying to figure out, you know, they're basically debating, like, caution versus trying to go full steam ahead and just barrel into the problem. And yeah, and Carver slash Michael, of course, wants to go barrel into the problem headfirst, as usual. Yeah, I like his line here, Hal's line, forget Cavett, after Sunday dinner, he probably debriefs his own mother. (laughs) Adorable. Again, not here for the Cavett slander, but this was a very cute line. And yeah, we see that Hal was very quippy back in the day as well. And then something's going on with the car. There's a strange force happening. The car stops working. What's going on? Magical alien stuff. This is a very common trope in alien abduction or encounter stories that, you know, any sort of uh, electric devices in the car stop working or malfunction. So it's kind of cool to see them pick up on that. A less common trope, though, is finding out that in the backseat of your army vehicle, you're carrying little uh, alien pod babies. And they weren't supposed to look in the back, right? They weren't supposed to look at anything. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, just supposed to follow. I 
Max. And I was surprised that Max was the one that opened it because he seems to be such the role follower. I didn't know why I didn't have Hal or like as Michael open that. I do think it's interesting throughout this episode, like Max's character like really sells out Michael in the end, but it it also seems like he didn't want to, like he has this curiosity too, but the need to follow orders like overpowers it in the end. But like, I feel like we're seeing that curiosity and that interest in him. And they go to a bar, which is called Parker's Place, or Parker's Bar, I guess, right? adorable so it's the crash down set but i was wondering it like was this just a little nod to like yeah this is the crash down now or is this actually supposed to be liz's grandfather great-grandfather could have been could have been yeah great uncle or something maybe and they're all talking about the crash all the patrons at the bar and this guy's like ah imagine what it would be like if we had alien tourism here ha 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 roswell new mexico home of the little green men wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> this is the first place where in the original uh, in the original broadcast of this, we had a Frank Sinatra song. We had Fly Me to the Moon. If mm. you saw the streaming or DVD version, though, you get Joel Evans Orchestra featuring Patrick Tuzzolino until it happens to you. Uh, neither of these songs existed at the time of, uh, that, of the setting of this episode. <laughs> The uh, Sinatra song was recorded in 1964. The song was written in 1954. So we're just going to gloss over that. I like the word, you know, the fly me to the moon, like, you know, going up into space. I'm sure that's why. Yes, it's it's cute. And it has a vintagey feel for all of those, you know, 1999 teenagers who anything that's more than 10 years old is like ancient. So I really like the scene where Hal picks up Betty at the bar using the 40s sort of zingers, like something tells me you won't call, you know, like things like that. Whereas now it's like all on apps and like, you know, like liking someone or swiping right or swiping left. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, Hal, (laughs) the last zinger Hal sends over to Betty turns out to be a little prescient because she asks about the alien stuff and he says well i can't tell you about that because if i did then they'd have to kill you and then they do oh no so sad yeah i feel like in this scene too though we see a little more of um not to completely change the subject but Betty's going to die. It's sad. Let's talk about other stuff. Um, I feel like we see again in this scene, Max's character, Dodie, like being a little more curious about things. Like Michael's ready to like, he Michael's ready to like go up in the air and blow them all up. And Max is like, wait, let's wait and see if they're friendly. Like he's curious about this situation. Like he genuinely wants to know what's going on. And Carver's ready to blow them out of the sky. And then Cavett pretty reasonably comes along and is like, bro, we don't talk to reporters shush it shush um so then uh, i guess hal comforts himself by going over to visit his uh the person with whom he has a relationship of simple pleasure as he says all right hey rosemary hey rosemary played by isabel yes looking great in i think what can only be described as her boudoir yes (laughs) i feel like rosemary is the kind of woman who like was like a pen pal slash lover with like many different soldiers in that era. Mm. Um, I got that impression from like her decor. Like she has like, I think she has like red uh, like fans on her wall, like things that maybe like men that she had trysts with. And then they were like shipped out, sent her back gifts 
from wherever mm-hmm. they were stationed during the war. Like, I see her as that kind of woman. Well, she has at least gotten one pair of socks, as we find out. Yes. they're not hells. Yes. Awkward. I actually, I thought at first that they were implying that she was a sex worker, but I don't think that's what they were doing. I think Lorena, like, yeah, she lives near a military base. And she's like, okay, there's a bunch of 21-year-old fit men running around. Hey, 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 yeah, get it, girl. I also really enjoy this exchange that they have where Hal says, so you want to hear about my day? And she goes, absolutely not. And he's like, that's my girl. Let's bone. He doesn't say that part, though. But he says it with his eyes. <laughs> and then they're making out and somebody is watching them and taking pictures of them. Creepy. Yeah. Speaking of creepy, when we go to the crash down, old Hal calls Maria sweet cheeks. Absolutely not. How dare you, sir? No. I'm like, did people ever actually use that term? Yes. I don't like I think so. Um, I have been uh, uh, unironically called this, and it's Ooh. awful. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't recommend it to anyone. Oh, I what I do love in this scene, though, is when Maria is like telling off Hal for ordering a third banana split. And Michael is like, what are you, the dairy police? It's maybe my favorite line of the whole episode. I love her comeback, which is basically like, you're the one sitting next to an old guy who's gonna be farting in a second. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair point. So they go in the back room and Michael is like, remember how I've been super rude to you all day and also didn't respond to any of your messages? Um, Give me your car. Yeah, in true Michael fashion. Right. But I, I hate where she goes with this, which is like, how could you be attracted to Courtney? She's not even a real blonde. And you are? Not, not the point. We don't need to put yeah. down other women. Like, Michael's acting like a jerk. That's the problem. Courtney's not the problem in this situation. It's Michael. And not even in this episode. And, like, it's not even, it's not relevant. It's, I do like that she calls Michael out, though. She's like, I've been patient. I've been the epitome of restraint. But, like, are you freaking kidding me with this? You're going to come and be like, give me your car? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry. When humans need rides, they take Jettas. And when alien need rides, they take spaceships. Oh, find one. Fantastic. Yes. Also, also a favorite line in this episode. But then he's like, make an old man happy. And she's like, well, he was extremely inappropriate to me. So here you go. Just take the car. Don't crash it. Whatever. I She mentions like, oh, I regret never having said goodbye to someone. I assume her grandfather. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then we get one of these great transitions that you mentioned, Lisa, that mm-hmm. uh, we all of a sudden it transitions back to Parker's place and we see uh, Betty waltz out instead of Maria. And I love her outfit. I love her hat. Yes. She pulls this off so well, really. She does. This is another place where we had a Frank Sinatra song in the original and have a Joe Levin's orchestra featuring Patrick Tuzzolino in the streaming. So just something to note, if you're listening for Sinatra here, you won't find him in your DVD or streaming versions, unfortunately. You'll find Tuzzolino. Tuzzolino. Sorry, Italians. And then we meet Liz's character in this episode, Yvonne White, who I feel like she's based on a real person or a supposed real person from the actual 47 crash. There's somebody within the real 1947 stuff, like references a nurse who then could never be seen or her, like nobody could ever find this nurse or even like what her name was. I feel like that's definitely who Yvonne is in this. So 
Glenn Dennis, who Betty mentions later, was a mortician in the area who, who um, came forward to tell his story in 1989. So 42 years after this all happened, he was like, I saw an alien crash. I totally saw it. I've never said anything to anyone before, but it definitely happened. And I remember it perfectly. And he, so he says there was this nurse who assisted the doctors in the alien autopsy that they were having on the base. And then she disappeared and he thinks that she was murdered. But yeah, like you said, Lorena, like no one could confirm that this was an actual person who existed. He gave people names that didn't match with anyone on any record. Um, but then he was like, well, they're the army. They just erased all record of her from the face of the earth. Wow. Which, sure, sure, okay. It could have happened. We don't know. We don't know. And also, I think it's really great they had Liz play that part. Just the science girl in her playing that part as the nurse. Mm-hmm. And the autopsy was so fitting for her, too. I think Hal here has at least started to realize that it's dangerous for these women to be involved in this. So... He's just like, yo, you need to just take this weather balloon story and stop talking about this because this is not going to end well. And it doesn't end well. And it doesn't end well. Yeah. And (laughs) Betty here, I feel this is like such a Michael and Maria exchange where she's like, that's no way to speak to a lady. And he says, well, you point one out and I'll watch my language. (laughs) Yes. Yep. But then we head back to Rosemary's house again, and we find out... A different kind of lady. Yes, and Rosemary's been uh, also shacking up with uh, Deputy Valenti. Maybe she's uh, Kyle's grandma. Who knows? Wouldn't that be fun? Hal addresses uh, Deputy Valenti as Jim. So is our Jim a Jim Jr.? Yes. Did we know that before? Yeah, I think we do. I think they, I think they, in the rare, in the couple of small exchanges where we do see his dad in the rest home, I think he's referred to as Jim Sr. or Valenti Sr. or something. But yeah, so she, Rosemary says that the military police were there and it seems like they've tossed her room. And uh, Hal is displeased. And as we've seen from his character, which is also Michael's character, he kind of flies off the handle. So he takes this information and runs right to the colonel who is played by William Sadler who looks amazing. This hair and the clean shaven look and the uniform really works for him. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) And he tells Carver that if he wants to get back in the air he just needs to shut up and stay on the base and follow the rules and keep his head down basically which is not what Michael Carver is going to do. And we find out, too, that there's been two privates that were, according to the colonel, were killed in a Jeep accident. And that is not at all what Carver is going to realize happened to them, supposedly. So Hal is given the job of uh, calling these families to inform them that their children are killed, which I don't think was military protocol, but whatever. He's like, what if instead I call this pretty nurse I met who wanted to tell me something? Because now he's like, okay, this is like a legit cover up. People are dying. What's going on? I want to find out whatever I can. But aha, she's being transferred to London and she's leaving that very night. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. I like how Yvonne talks about how they, they're not mammal even. Like, they're not mm-hmm. animal, but they're not even mammal. And she talks about, like, the epidermis and the organs. <laughs> yes, she's so distressed. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, and then and then we see that their little covert meeting has taken place directly in front of the military bus that she was supposed to be getting onto. It's not very covert. Not this covert. This is not smart. No. And he no. ends up drawing like a little Roswell alien, like from her description. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But yeah, Yvonne decided to talk to Betty because Betty was willing to listen. And Mm -hmm. she just wants to forget that it all ever happened. And she wants to start her life over in London. That's all she wants is just to start over. But no, they're going to kill her. Yeah. And this is where we get our second unsuccessful attempt at smoking from Hal, where Michael Hal is trying to light up the cigarette, but then he hears her scream and he goes to the bus and this very creepy bus driver is just like, no ladies here, Clarice. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, very weird. So Hal goes back to base. He's trying to track down the nurse. And this is where we find out that Tess, playing a character who was terribly named Dixie, is the one that he took in his little uh, flyover joyride of the Hoover Dam. And they're just like hanging out working together. Yeah. And I guess he is also seeing other people as Rosemary is because it seems like there's still uh, something between these two. She's like, let me go do my hair while I leave you here in the colonel's office alone with this folder of confidential materials. Bye. I'm great at my job. Bye. (laughs) But... If she didn't do that, how would Hal ever find the infamous silver handprint dead body photo? Bum, bum, bum. So Hal goes to investigate at this hangar and we see Max as Richard Doty there. He seems to have been uh, promoted yes, in the he last does. day or so. He's got higher clearance and he's like, you got to get out of here. And Hal says to him, what are you more afraid of? What you know or what they're keeping from us? Ooh, conspiracy. Dodie is more worried about not following the rules is what he's more worried about. I think he's also realized, like, they've both realized this is dangerous. And so Mm -hmm. I think Hal is like, I don't care what the consequences are. I'm just going to find out the truth. And Dodie is like... Oh, these people are killers. I'm gonna just do what the army tells me to do because that's my best shot at staying safe. Right, and also he's an opportunist, so he's gonna do whatever it is to get higher up there too. That's true. Yeah, Max and uh, Dodie both seem to enjoy having power. Yes, and telling yes. other people what to do. But that means that Carver has had enough of this shit, and he's ready <laughs> to talk to Betty. He's ready to share the confidential files. He is ready to expose the military for what they are. Mm-hmm. This is the scene where I was just like, oh my gosh, her lips look amazing. Yes. Yeah. It's also a really good dress. But like, can we talk about this line here? I was like, oh. I cannot believe that the WB let them say, cars are like men, Carver. Give their cable a little jiggle and they'll be fine till morning. She's talking about a I think she's talking about a hand job. Yeah. Because he comes back with, I didn't know you were so handy, Osorio. And I was like, oh my goodness. Are they, are, are they about to like get it on in the car by the side of the road? Is this like when the scene cuts 
when they do that lovely fade, is it to protect our two young lovers because they're about to get down? Maybe. Anyway, this is where she mentions Glenn Dennis, who is the real life mortician that I mentioned earlier, who again, 40 plus years later was like, yeah, I definitely remember someone calling looking for child sized coffins on this particular day 40 something years ago. Memories real clear on that. And I definitely talked to this nurse lady about some stuff. Yep. Don't know her name, though. They must have made her disappear. Yeah. Just like they made those two guys disappear by saying it was a Jeep accident when really they were killed by glowing white aliens. Ooh. Ooh. And Betty wants to know if Hal's willing to on the record and she tells him after the story runs, you'll either be a hero or a traitor. Which I feel like is something that a lot of whistleblowers in uh, controversies here right like mm-hmm. those those are your options and some people are gonna think you're a hero and some people are gonna think you're a traitor and uh either way it's not gonna be pleasant yeah and then they do that nice fade i mentioned while hal is saying you can run fast but time always has a way of catching up and it was a yeah. good transition yeah. yeah, and then they're still out in the desert. Michael finds a soda in the backseat, turns it into a beer, and then is like, oh yeah, my friend's a bit of a drinker? Come on! <laughs> I didn't like that either, and Hal knows who the friend is. It's the girl, right? Yeah. He was saying that he talks about that after. Yeah, because then this is the scene where, like, Carver can tell Michael and Maria are still in love. Yeah. I was wondering if this was, like, a callback to Michael as Hal blaming Max as Richard for making them late. Here he's like blaming Maria for like, oh, she has alcohol in her car. Which, look, you should never have alcohol in your car unless you are like driving it home from the grocery store. Don't drink in your car. And definitely not when you're underage. You should not have alcohol just like in the back seat of your car. But I mean, she didn't. She had soda in the back seat. Michael's just a right. weirdo. Michael just fermented it with his hand. Yeah. Because that's how the alien powers work. However, we need them to. <laughs> Santa fermentation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, and then we get this really nice... Uh, bar scene after I think Hal gets Michael thinking a little bit in the present when he says that he really regrets not having kissed Betty which we all know is a lie because she definitely gave him a hand job after that and hopefully he was created <laughs> but back in 47 he goes to the bar to to deal with his feelings about everything that's going on um, and he runs into Richard Doty who seems drunk and seems racked with guilt mm-hmm. and it's all an act what an asshole he killed them oh <laughs> yeah what a con he does it all to get carver to reveal what he's done and then look that cowboy who's been playing pool in the corner turns out to be dun 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 our unnecessarily villainous villain sheridan cavett who is just like straight it's implied that he's just straight up murdering people Yeah. Again, this is a real man who's a veteran of the United States military. Whatever show. And this is the only one that I can't see the cross Mm. that well. Like, Alex and Alex being a devious dude in the 1940s. Because Alex is so lovely and, like, wonderful and sweet and kind. And then now he's, like, 
playing the dude who's like murdering everybody. I think it would have made more sense to have Kyle in this role because we've seen him be like slightly sinister, but obviously they mm-hmm. wanted to have him play his grandfather and they had already established that. Yeah. So, oh. Honestly, it would have been great to see Tess in that role, but back in the day, I guess women didn't have such high ranking positions of power. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She would have just been a secretary. Yeah. Unless she was posing as a secretary, but secretly like an assassin spy. Yes. I, w- I want to see that story where she's posing as a, like where her cover job with the military is that she's a secretary, but really she's an assassin spy for the military. I would watch that show. I would too. And maybe we just let her be Australian so she doesn't have to try so hard at her accent that she can yes. never nail. Hal goes back to work though to find a letter that uh, it seems he has written in a fugue because he doesn't remember doing it it seems almost as if someone else wrote it for him and was like if you want to get out of this alive then you'll just sign this letter bruh but he's getting an honorable discharge which Mm -hmm. is more than i would expect from someone who steals planes and is openly insubordinate yeah yeah but that's probably you know that's uh dodie trying to look out for him even though dodie has his own interests first at the end of the day he's still trying to look out a little bit for his friend and make sure he at least gets an honorable discharge out of the deal. Yes. And Hal uh, realizes this and says, well, thanks for being such a pal, dick. And then punches him in the face. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Max and Michael punch a lot at each other, too. Yeah. I don't like it. What is up with boys? Like, why does aggression, like, why does anger have to equal aggression and, like, punching? Use your words, little boys. Yeah. Like, not your fists. Don't threaten to murder his girlfriend, which is basically what Dodie does. He's like, oh, I was the creeper standing outside your window taking pictures of you and Rosemary making out. And if you don't do what we say, dot, dot, dot. One more person will be killed. Yeah. Yeah. We go back to Parker's bar, and in this scene, the song that plays is the song that's listed in all of the sources that I found whenever I uh, consult my sources for music in the episodes. I go to several sources just to confirm everything, and every single one of them has the same uh, song listed for this. So they all say that it is Jimmy Dale Gilmore's Mac the Knife, and that does appear to be the song that is playing in the original broadcast version. Um, So this is a song that was originally from the Three Penny Opera. It was originally in German, introduced to American audiences in a 1933 English language production, but the most common translation is from 1954. Um, In the streaming version, there is a different song. And none of the sources I found told me what the song was. They all say that it's Smack the Knife. It is not. I googled a lot. And I could not find what this song is. I googled the lyrics. I googled Roswell songs. I googled this episode. Couldn't find it. So if any of our lovely listeners out there have a lead on what this song might be, or... (laughs) My dog knows exactly what it is, so no worries. Problem solved. Thanks, Lyra. (laughs) If any of our human listeners want to take a stab at it, Please let me know. I'm very curious what this song is and why I can't seem to find it anywhere. Please leave in that whole section. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, the 
the the actual action of this scene is Hal getting a note from Betty, um, mm-hmm. who he then calls and gets some terrible news. She's dead. But she's left him this key, and so he's going to go investigate. Yeah. And luckily... Just like every adult currently living in Roswell, the MPs on this base are not very good at their jobs. Yeah. Because Hal Carver just sneaks right on, even though he doesn't work for the military anymore. So he has no security clearance and is very much not allowed to be there. I'm wondering where Betty got the key. Do you think she got the key from Yvonne? I thought it was Yvonne because she had access to the bodies to do the autopsy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my guess. That's my only thought is maybe she shumped that somehow Yvonne handed it off to Betty before Yvonne got killed. And then Betty found a way to hand it off to Carver before she got killed. I also feel like Betty has her ways of getting things yeah. from people yeah. when she needs to. You know, she's Betty's, resourceful. Yeah, she's definitely she resourceful. She's jiggling things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> she can just do Ooh. some extra jiggling and get what she needs. <laughs> Uh, so Hal goes into the morgue, he sees the pods there, takes photos of them. I'm, like, very impressed that he is able to keep his wits about him, because I feel like I would just have, like, dropped the camera and run. Yeah. Um, but he notices two dead doctors on the ground with silver handprints on their chests, and there's burn spots on their uniforms around this. Who could it be from? So they, the two very, very glowy white aliens come out. One of them holds up a hand and Hal thinks that they're going to, like, come at him. But then we get this voiceover that's basically like, oh, so they're just protecting their young. They're not actually trying to actively hurt us like this. They've been acting in self-defense. So he says, in that moment, though, I realized I'd been afraid of the wrong thing. It wasn't us they wanted. So he says to the little aliens, save them. And then he leaves it. It's so sweet. He helped them save Michael and Isabel and Max and Tess as yes. little alien babies. Yes, little unborn little alien babies. And I don't know if you guys noticed, I found this to be a very creepy shot as he is exiting. There's this like, it's kind of like a, I feel like a long pause on, uh, you can see one of the dead doctor's faces just like in a mirror. Mm-hmm. Like, I found that to be very creepy. Just side note. But he, he, like, pulls the fire alarm, creates a diversion to, I guess, to give the aliens time to do what they need to do. Um, so he gets these MPs to chase him, and that's when he drops his camera and loses the evidence. Oh, no. There will be no real evidence. But he gets away with his life and thinks that it was all for naught, that the only good thing he ever tried to do in his life was wasted. But then he finds out amidst some very emotional, tear-jerking instrumental music that he did successfully help save those little alien babies because he saved Michael. Aww. And this is where our three-beat comes around on the cigarette because, so we get the cool transition where, like, the MP is about to shoot at him and it goes to him. It cuts to present-day Hal shooting. But Michael is like, I don't need a gun. And he just smashes the bottle with his powers. And then he's like, oh, need a light? And just flicks a perfectly formed flame from his thumb. This is a new power. I think Tess must have taught him this one. But it looks real cool. And Hal is just like... Okay, well, now I'm having a heart attack. Thanks. (laughs) 
But no, it's cool. They hug. And Michael says, you saved me. Aww. And then one of those alien guardians had to have been Nisato, right? Yeah, yes. I guess so. Yeah, so I think one of them must have been Nisato, and then the other one had to have been the other alien that they said was captured and tortured by the special unit, right? And uh, Yeah, and escaped. First, we get, so we had Hal's little arc where he found out that he actually had done something good. And then Michael gets thinking, like, oh, man, this human sacrificed so much for me. Huh, I know some other humans who have sacrificed a lot for me. Maybe I should be nicer to them. (sighs) Yeah, and also, like, Liz is still trying to go to work and pretend that her boss isn't dead. I wonder if that's traumatic. I will ask her how she is doing. And Liz is like, what's going on? Who put you up to this? (laughs) Did Max tell you to come apologize? You're never nice to me. I like like this little exchange where she's like, did Max ask you to be nice? And Michael says, no, I came up with it myself. Like, (laughs) I have this brilliant idea. Be nice to the humans. And Liz is like, I like it. Yeah. It's adorable. It's cute. It's very cute. And then we cut to the granolith, and Michael has yeah. decided to let Maria back in a little bit, and he's... Yeah, he says, meet the reason I haven't been returning your phone calls. Hello, granolith. And yeah, so he says that basically he got some perspective. He had a little history lesson, and he says, here's the thing. I owe more to you than I can imagine, to Liz, Alex, Valenti, and some old guy named Hal who lives in Tampa and plays shuffleboard. <laughs> Very cute. And then he thanks her. Yes. Which is great. It's about time. Yes. Super sweet. And she remains to be the only human at this time who knows about the granolith. No one else has seen it at all. That's that's true. Liz doesn't know yet, does she? Nope. And that's a big deal. Like, the fact that Michael did that, I don't know if it sort of makes up for everything he's done, but it's a big move. (laughs) He also, like, probably should have consulted the other aliens first. So I'm just going to assume he did that off screen and no. didn't do the thing that we're always mad at him about where he just makes a decision. Yeah, because, you know, Tess would have been so upset if he found out that he went to one of the humans and told, I don't think he did. Because these guys never say anything. It's always yeah. Isabel that like, tells everyone information or Tess will tell everyone information, even if it's bad or lies, I don't even know. But like... Michael and Max, they don't know how to, they don't know how to communicate. Yeah, they're lacking some communication skills here. Yeah. (sighs) And then Michael is like, uh, so there's more aliens out there, potentially? There's a whole other set of pods that he's just found out about from Hal Carver. Hal was like, yeah, so there, there were two sets of pods of four. So we know who four of them are. Who are the other four? So I think that brings us to unanswered questions, because that's definitely one of mine. Who are the other aliens? Um, So I was at first thinking, like, oh, well, are they just the skins? But I feel like they're not, because we've gotten the impression that the skins are different, right? Like, these are little pod people were these hybrids. So, Mm -hmm. like, are they... We know our our four are clones of like the royal the royal four, right? So like are these four clones of other royals or are they the clones of the same people? Are there another Max and Isabel and Michael and Tess walking around somewhere? 
Ooh, that would be such a good sociology study of like the nature versus nurture if they're like literal clones. I like your thoughts. We'll uh, find out. Um, I have some more unanswered questions, but Lorena and Nomi, do you all have any from this episode? That whole scene with Maria and Michael in the beginning about how they maybe see concerts together. Like, did they have conversations about the granolith together? Does Maria sort of help them, like, be a thinking partner in the next episodes to come? Like, you know, because she's really able to sort of talk to Michael in ways that the other sort of characters can't. Mm-hmm. So I've always wondered about that, too. She seems to be very helpful for Michael in terms of being a thinking partner, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. There's definitely a lot that happens behind the scenes and we never quite find out like what those relationships are really like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what fanfic is for, I guess. Right. But (laughs) there you go. I just I just want to go into it more with them for reals, though. Well, maybe BNT will give us the next best thing. So before we move into our hot and saucy, um, Nomi, since this is one of your favorite episodes, like what about it? Like I love this episode too, but what about it is makes it a favorite for you? It's the favorite for me because I love how they go back to the times and sort of make this fictional story from the 40s and bring it in the present. But I always like something centered around Michael because I think he's such a complicated character and Obviously, my favorite couple, as you all know, is Michael and Maria. And I feel like in this episode, Maria really puts him in his place. But there's a third character that puts Michael in his place, too, and it's Hal Carver. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of needed to kind of have Michael put in perspective how much these human friends of his have really put their lives in the line as well to have helped him and to help him see where he is. And I also like that he shows Maria the granolith at the end. Because that's a very significant part. At this point, she's the only human being to have seen it. We don't know if she's the only one to remain to see it, you know, throughout the season. But that's a pretty big thing. And I think Maria is also his thinking partner in a lot of ways. And so Michael really trusts her and needs her and shows that by, you know, letting her see this granular. Um, and they have really fun lines in here. They're like zingers and everything mm-hmm. like that. Yes. In the present and in the, in the past. Yes. Uh, I agree with all of those statements. (laughs) All right. So let's move on then to our hot and saucy picks for today. Now let's see who's hot and saucy. I think we should let Nomi go first since she's Mm -hmm. our guest. Nomi, who did you think was the hottest or the sussiest? I thought Betty Osario was. I don't know if we all agree, but that jiggle line that she said was classic. I think that was just so hot and hotty. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That was like the definition of hot and saucy. Yes. (laughs) If we didn't already have an awesome jingle that Elisa put together, that would have to be our new jingle. We'll just like... Set that to music. Oh, it'll be like one of those other tune videos. Oh yes, I say we make that happen. <laughs> is do I do I assume then that that is also your hot and saucy pick today, Lisa? Well, I definitely put that on my list. Is like, all right, that was real saucy. But you know, Bill Sadler did not get enough screen time in this episode. But while <laughs> he was here, clean cut, uniformed, angry Bill Sadler. 
might be my favorite Bill Sadler. I don't know what that says about me, but I think <laughs> he looked phenomenal. I was here for it. Got it. Lorena, what about you? Um, So I kind of had a tie between... I mean, in general, I love Betty Osario in this episode. And that quote is definitely probably the sauciest moment. But I think we all know I like to choose, like, a good sensitive moment because, like, sensitivity and, like, kindness is sexy. So my real winner is at the end when Michael lets Maria back into his life and he brings her to see the granolith and he thanks her for all that she's done for him and they hold hands for a second yes it's h-o-t it's hot (laughs) but betty osario is also is like a high runner-up for me in this episode oh yeah okay so one last little piece of business to handle and that is lisa's predictions so lisa based on the next episode title the end of the world. Mm. What do you see happening for our pod squad? I know that this next one is also a fan favorite, but I don't know why. I obviously knew Summer of 47 was going to be something like what it was. Uh, the end of the world, I'm assuming, is not an actual apocalypse. Although, who knows? Um, I assume at some point we'll find out who the other four aliens are from the other pods. So maybe that's like an end of the world as you know it type of deal. But yeah, I don't know. I I think at some point soon there's going to have to be some fallout from Congresswoman Whitaker's death. Especially since it came right on the heels of uh, quote unquote Agent Pierce uh, being disgraced, leaving the FBI and then disappearing after last being seen in Roswell, now the congresswoman for Roswell has also disappeared. This is going to have to raise some red flags. So I, I suspect there will be um, there will be some some fallout from that. I don't know. I'm really excited for the next episode to find out. I also really hope that this like shift in Michael's character lasts and he just stays nice to Maria, but somehow I suspect that there'll be some <laughs> backsliding there because we've seen it before. So yeah, I, I am really interested to see whose world is ending. Mm. Find out next time on Roswell. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week and a huge thank you to our guest host, Nomi. You can find Nomi on social media on Instagram at we want Roswell back and on Twitter at Roswell back. And we will be back in two weeks on Tuesday, October 27th with season two, episode five, end of the world. In the meantime, you can check out our social media uh, for more information on the Baron and Tulum campaign that Nomi mentioned. And we also are currently running a giveaway, which we will be announcing the winner for on our next episode. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Roswell Hot Sauce and on Facebook. And that's where you're going to find information on that giveaway we have running. So make sure you check it out. And as always, you can find show notes and more information at roswellhotsauce.com. And you can shoot us an email if you know the answer to that mysterious song in this episode at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com. Yes, help me sleep at night. Tell me what it is. 
Pass the Hot Sauce is produced and edited by Ashley Hollett. Our theme music is by David Belcourt. Our logo was designed by Billy Murray. Until next time. Car black man carver. Give their cable bills, give them over find some warning. I didn't know you were so handy at Storia. Cars black man carver. Black man carver. Cars black man carver. Give their cable bills, give them over find some warning. I didn't know you were so handy at Storia. Handy at Storia. Give their cable bills, give them. I didn't know you were so handy at Storia. 